I hope that's your testimony, that song. He is your Lord, Lord of all. Our Father and our God, as we turn our attention to your word now, we want to affirm that we, we understand the Lord Jesus Christ as our, our Redeemer, our Ransom, our Rescuer, our Refuge. And we could go on and on, Father, with superlatives that would never fully describe the magnificence of Jesus Christ. But I pray, Father, that you might recognize that we have assembled this morning to praise the name of Christ, to lift up the name of Jesus, to meet with you and to know that, that as we draw near to you, you draw near to us. In that drawing near to you, Father, and you drawing near to us, we pray that you might speak to our hearts from your word, and that we might be people who understand the, the need to apply your truth. So I pray, Father, that you would now center our thoughts on Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior. It's in his name we pray. Amen. So who would you trust with your heart? Who can you trust with your heart? When you need someone to care, where would you go? When you have done something you're ashamed of, who could you tell? If you had just received the worst news of your life, where could you run to? If you're near a breakdown, you can't cope, you're ashamed... You're scared, you're alone. You just need a dressing on the or your dressing changed on the wounds of your emotional heart. Where would you go first? Would you go to your church? Could you go to your church? Does your church have people who heal you or hurt you? I want to spend today looking at the, a go, the Go Big community. What should we look like? I want you to open your Bibles to Joshua chapter 20, if you would. Joshua chapter 20 is the, the allotment of the land, in particular, when the land was being handed out, there were cities of refuge that were appointed by God. There are places for shelter. There are places where um, someone who had uh, fallen into a serious situation of a, of a, a non-premeditated sin of, uh, of slaughter, of murder, uh, would find a place to, to, to hide, a shelter, a place where justice could be met, a shelter during the time of storm. Is Calvary a shelter for storm victims? 
a healthy alternative. Bruce Larson and um, Keith Miller combined to write a book entitled The Edge of Adventure. Larson used to uh, minister with uh, Robert Schuller at Crystal Cathedral. In the book they write this, the neighborhood bar is possibly the best counterfeit there is to the fellowship Christ wants to give his church. It's an imitation. Dispensing liquor instead of grace. Escape rather than reality. But it is a permissive, accepting, and inclusive fellowship. It is unshockable. It is democratic. You can tell people secrets and they usually don't tell others or even want to. The bar flourishes, not because most people are alcoholics, but because God has put into the human heart the desire to know and be known, to love and be loved. And so many seek a counterfeit at the price of a few beers. With all my heart, I believe that Christ wants his church to be a fellowship where people can come in and say, I'm sunk. I'm beat. I've had it. I wonder today as we um, gather together if we could, if we can picture our own church as that place. Now there are uh, individuals who don't always do church work in any given community. But what's the mission of our church, even if some people miss the message? I want to talk to you this morning about how it works on God's holy ground. Whether it be people or places or ministries, churches, what it's like, how it should be, when it's a place that really represents Christ. A big community as a sanctuary for the casualties of a broken world. In Joshua chapter 20, we begin this way. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Tell the Israelites to designate the cities of refuge as I instructed you through Moses so that anyone who kills a person accidentally or unintentionally may flee there and find protection from the avenger of blood. Interestingly, that term, the avenger of blood, is the same term that's used in the original language for a kinsman redeemer in Ruth. It was a strategic individual who represented the family, the given families. When he flees to one of these cities, he is to stand in the entrance of the city gate and state his case before the elders of that city. Then they are to admit him into their city and give him a place to live with them. If the avenger of blood pursues him, they must not surrender the one accused because he has killed his neighbor unintentionally and without malice aforethought. He is to stay in that city until he has stood trial before the assembly. And until the death of the high priest who is serving at that time. Then he may go back to his own home in the town from which he fled. So they set apart Kedesh in Galilee in the hill country of Nephtali. Shechem in the hill country of Ephraim. Kiriath Arva, that is Hebron, in the hill country of Judah. On the east side of the Jordan of Jericho, they designated Bezer in the desert on the plateau in the tribe of Reuben. Ramoth in Gilead in the tribe of Gad. And Golan in Bashan, in the tribe of Manasseh. Any of the Israelites, or any alien living among them who killed someone accidentally, 
could flee to these designated cities and not be killed by the avenger of blood prior to standing trial before the assembly. Prior to the modern day justice system that has been established over the years and the one with which we function under, God had rolled out a system of of justice to prevent rash harshness in the event that someone uh, accidentally was responsible for manslaughter. Uh, They could rush to this city uh, in advance of what we find here is the avenger of blood, and I'll talk about that in a second, that they could find shelter and rescue and refuge until they could, their case could be heard before the city elders, and in which case if it was determined that it was manslaughter and unintentional, they would have to live there and bear the responsibilities and the consequences of their act until the high priest died. When he died, the high priest serving at the time died, they would be free to go back to their own town. In fact, um, the instructions that are referred to in Moses, as it's written here in Joshua, are found in Numbers chapter 35. There's a more um, detailed account of the cities of refuge. It seems to me, though, when you understand the nature of this refuge, of this um, running to a place of shelter to have a hearing and to receive justice and, and to... To, to uh, be prevented from a rush to judgment and to receive um, a, a stay of execution and to, in effect, have your uh, sin atoned for by the high priest. It seems to me that uh, we're describing here the, the concept or the, the, the character and nature of God in Christ. And that's why the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 6 verse 18 talks about Jesus Christ as the refuge. So it seems to me that if Christ, being the head of the church, demonstrates the characteristics of a refuge, that surely his body, the body of Christ, the church, must also manifest the characteristics and nature of Christ. So it seems to me that it's not a great leap for us to take and apply this text to to the church of Jesus Christ and say that, that we are called to be a refuge. We are called to be a sanctuary for those who are on the run from the brokenness of this world. I'd like to share with you this morning uh, about five characteristics that that grow out of this text that I think ought to shape the the place called a refuge, the place called a sanctuary, the place of the gathering of God's people, the holy ground of God, the people, places, ministries, churches that represent Jesus Christ. Uh, This is how they ought to be described. This is the nature It ought to be, first of all, a place where people can flee from the war of the world. You'll you'll notice in the first three three verses, as described here, that it was a place where every effort was made to assist, not harass, the fugitive. It was a well-marked-out place. They were available. There were six cities. In fact, these six cities were scattered throughout the geography of the Promised Land so that regardless of where you lived... It was only a half a day journey to get to one of the cities of refuge. And they were, um, they were a well-marked out city. One of the uh, ancient scholar, uh, scholars of the ancient Near East, uh, Merrill Unger, writes this. According to the rabbins, in order to aid the fugitive, it was the business of the Sanhedrin to keep the roads leading to the cities of refuge in the best possible repair. 
No hills were left. Every river was bridged. And the road itself was to be at least 32 cubits broad or about 48 feet. At every turn were guideposts bearing the word refuge. And two students of the law were appointed to accompany the fleeing man to pacify, if possible, the avenger should, be, should he overtake the fugitive. As I was reading this description, I couldn't help but think in a given city that, that the markers, the, the way to this place of rescue and refuge, is sort of like a hospital. When you come into a city, uh, it, it most often has these blue signs with an H on them and they're pointing in directions so that as you're driving on the main streets, you will find your way to the hospital. I, I think it's a great way to describe the whole idea of a church. A church ought to be like a teaching hospital. Uh, it ought to have signs that point the way. Uh, the sick ought to run there. I guess we need to ask ourselves, are we set up to, for the worst case scenarios? Could it be described of us as, as we're like an emergency ward for those who are broken hearted, those who are looking for an escape, looking for rescue? Or are we just a health spa for those who are, are rich and already have uh, found their way and And uh, their hearts are mended. This is a refuge. If I understand the nature of Christ and and I understand what what the point of this was, that this place, the church, the, the body of Christ, the people who make up the church are to be totally different in our context, in our gathering, in our relationships one with the other than the war of the world that you face every day of your lives. It ought to be different. It ought to look different. A church shouldn't be some untouchable institution of judgment. If we're going to carry on the work of Christ. In John 3, 17, it said there that Jesus did not come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. If we are the mission of Jesus, if we're the ongoing mission and message of Jesus, then he didn't place us in the world to condemn the world, but that the world might find Christ through the work of the church. It was John the Baptist who said, I'm coming to be a forerunner of the Messiah. I'm coming to make a way straight in the desert to prepare a way to the Lord that people might find him. Every mountain should be brought down. Every valley should be raised up. Every roadway should be leveled and all the obstacles should be removed. The same way as the ancients did for the city of refuge so that people in the community find their way to Christ. We aren't to put up obstacles, make it hard. A place where people stop kicking you and stop hurting you and start healing you. Jesus is the friend of a wounded heart, isn't he? When you mistreat people, you ultimately lead them to some sort of sinfulness themselves. People can only take so much kicking and hurting And Jesus said, woe to that person who pushes somebody to sin. Now to take a millstone and do a swan dive into the deepest part of the ocean. Luke 17, 2. A church, a go big community, God's holy ground, is to be a place where people can flee from the war of the world, but... But secondly, I notice in verse 4, it says, when he flees to one of these cities, and I presume it could be a she, 
He used to stand in the entrance of the city gate and state his case before the elders of that city. And then they are to admit him into their city and give him a place to live with them. It's a place where people get a hearing. Now, the hardened, they don't seek asylum. But those who desperately drop by need to be drawn close to the warming fire. We're not talking about those who are living lives of premeditated evil. We're talking about those who've become casualties of a broken and fallen world. Tragic circumstances that follow from that. I want you to note the order here. It says that they are to come and state their case. And and in the original translation it would say state their case for a hearing. And then they are to be admitted. And they are to be given a place with them. It caused me to pause and think about the whole concept of the church community. The desperate need someone to listen, to hear their questions before they're fed answers. (laughs) Sometimes we're really ready with all of our answers and then we say, oh, and by the way, what was your question? Not that it really mattered because we have all the answers. Seems to me that um, some people in... uh, in the modern church movement, are maybe asking some of the right questions. Can people belong to the community of faith before they believe in Jesus Christ? Seems to me that the cities of refuge were, for the, were those places where you first got a hearing and then you stated your case and you were admitted to be with them with all of your baggage and all of your problems. We are all spiritual fugitives at one time, weren't we? Weren't each one of us a spiritual fugitive? Alienated from God? And aren't all of us recipients of the grace of God in the lighthouses that he has placed? Lighthouses called churches. Lighthouses called people. Cities on a hill that shine the light of Jesus Christ. Strategic places that the desperate, that those at the end of it, those who are troubled may find shelter. We are an emergency room. Can you imagine going to uh, the emergency room and you've cut yourself badly and you're bleeding all over the place and and you, uh, you go to the waiting room and you... The doctor's working away and the nurses are working away and the administrators are working away and, and everybody ignores you? Wait a second, that's, that's, that's actually how it works. No, but can, can, you, can you imagine that? Don't you need someone to notice? Say, you, you, you need to be bandaged. You need to be helped. A few years ago, Lynn and I were um, out in Victoria, British Columbia for the National Convention of the Fellowship. So on Sunday, we, we stayed out a little late and longer and did some vacation time and went to a church there. Didn't know, we didn't know exactly what time the church started, so I decided, well, we'll go really early, way before church time, and it'll have to be right. So we got there fairly early, and 
the church was open, but there were only a few people there. And so we went and sat down in a very visible place. And people were working, scurrying around. Obviously the leaders, pastors, teachers, administrators. And we sat. And I looked. Looked at people. You know, in my winsome way. <laughs> my welcoming look. Come hither. And then finally people started gathering and sitting around us and talking. We sat through a good service. We got up and people wandered around and we walked out of the church. And never once did even one person approach us or say anything. You know, it's good to get away from your own church sometimes and just see what's, what's out there. Is it like that here at Calvary? I hope not. Did someone wander in, wounded, off the street and sit down and everybody would ignore their bleeding, gaping wounds? It's a place where people get a hearing. I noticed something in verse 5. If the avenger of blood pursues him, they must not surrender the one accused because he killed his neighbor unintentionally and without malice aforethought. It's a place where people find protection. Now, originally, this whole idea was a place of protection from instant revenge. I I know this is probably a a pretty bizarre section of the text for many of you. If you've never read about the cities of, of, of refuge and and you're, you're thinking back to the, uh, the days of, of that kind of justice. But there weren't uh, supreme courts that were established. There, there weren't... Um, there, was, there was very much a rush to judgment. And, and when someone was murdered in your family, there was someone appointed in the family to be the, the kinsman redeemer, the avenger of blood. This was the person who was to... to, to Make things right again. To, to balance things out. To get justice. When blood was shed, the requirement was blood. Capital punishment. The problem is, there were times when it was an accident. It didn't matter that it was an accident because that Avenger of blood still had his mission by the family to go and right this wrong. So God set up these cities so that a person could run and be protected. If they could get to the city before they were killed, they would get a hearing. In in so many ways, it's a picture of uh, of the, the desperation of people outside of Jesus Christ. They're on the run. Let me ask you, who who of us would be alive today if God had taken instant revenge on our first sin? Who of us? There there wouldn't be a group of people in this room this morning. In fact, I'm not sure whether we would have got out of the womb. Because the psalmist says, in sin were we conceived. I've sinned from the time of birth, David says. We are the recipients of a patient God. 
If you, if you are in the family of God, you're a recipient of a patient God. People have called out to God, he's slack in judgment, he's slack in judgment. Peter writes in his letter in 2 Peter 3, 9, God is not slack or slow in his judgment, as some men call slowness. Rather, he is patient and not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come to him. It was because of the patience and kindness and long-suffering and forbearing of God overlooking your sin until you found the refuge in Christ. You were protected by God. We should therefore not be a people of prosecution or persecution or condemnation, but a people of protection. Come here, not to be a victim. There's another picture here that, that, that rides along with this, this. There's a prowling lion. The enemy of our soul who looks to, who looks to take people down who are, are hurt and damaged. Who are dogged every day of their lives by reminders of how horrible they are and how unacceptable to God they are. And they certainly don't come here to be further reminded of that. They come here to be provided with spiritual nourishment. Nourishment through Christ. And through that nourishment, a person can be built up and strengthened. Those who are lost can come and find Christ. Those who found Christ can be built up and be overcomers. Protection from instant revenge and from the predator intent on preying on the weak, wounded soul. Our job isn't to further weaken people, kicking people who are down. You know, life has loaded each one of us with a variety of sensitivities. That we don't know about each other. Backgrounds, life challenges, life hurts. And we have no idea. We are not to be reckless with each other. In fact, Jesus said, every careless word will be called to account when you meet Jesus. Our idiosyncrasies are not fodder for attack. Listen, this, this city of refuge and what I'm sharing with you in the parallel of refuge of Christ doesn't mean that, that God overlooks sin or winks at sin. No, not at all. They bore the, the consequences of their sin. They were stranded in this city of refuge until the high priest of the time uh, died. But wounds that have weakened our personality or lengthened our struggle, we're to throw a lifeline, not lash people. Trials are not subject of social recreation but of urgent prevailing prayer. Is this a place of welcoming or a place of wounding? He is to stay in that city, verse 6, until he has stood trial before the assembly. 
and until the death of the high priest who is serving at that time. Then he may go back to his own home in the town from which he fled. Why is all of this? Why is it a place to flee, a place of a hearing, a place of protection? Because it's a place where people find grace. This is an amazing thing that God has done for people, an amazing thing that he's done for you and I. Do you, have we forgotten that each of us deserve to die? Have we forgotten that, that blood can only be atoned for by the blood of the one who shed blood? Have we, have we forgotten or did we maybe not know that each of us here and every person who's ever been born is responsible for the death of Jesus Christ? We are responsible for his blood. Which means we are responsible for capital punishment. We are fugitives. But God has given us a great high priest. The great high priest who lived a a sinless, perfect life. And died on a cross that our sins might be atoned for. A substitute. I'm, I'm convinced. You remember when Jesus was, um, was on that scriptural journey with the, uh, the guys from the Ema- road to Emmaus? And they were all excited about the things that had happened. And, and uh, they had heard about the crucifixion. They had heard about the talk of the, the, the resurrection of Christ. And they didn't recognize Jesus. And Jesus said to them, um, he took them on this scriptural tour to show them himself in the scriptures. I'm convinced he paused at this place. To take a look here. This city of refuge for people who are besieged. People who have been fugitives just like you. You guys who are walking with me, you're fugitives, spiritual fugitives from God. You're responsible for the Messiah who went to the cross and died. That's why the one taking refuge had to wait until the high priest died. Incarcerated until a substitute death of another who was guiltless freed them from the consequences of their sin. The penalty had been paid. But I also notice one last thing. In Numbers chapter 35... Explicit instructions are given as to the geography of these cities of refuge. It says in verse 6, Six of the towns you give the Levites will be the cities of refuge to which a person who has killed someone may flee. It was placed in the inheritance of the Levites. Cities of refuge were set aside from the cities assigned to the Levites because they knew the law of God. It's to be a place where the law of God is understood. It's to be a place where people know the heart of God. They understand the word of God. They understand the expectations of God. They understand the nature of God. They understand the character of God. They understand the law of God. God entrusts his justice to the spiritual leadership. Of his people. 
and the leaders of his people. I think this is a caution to us. A caution to be careful about tackling the wounds and weaknesses of someone who's come into refuge, who's come into the sanctuary. Make sure you've sought the wisdom of the spiritual counsel of God and his leaders. Because misdiagnosis in a hospital might kill a patient. If you misapply the, the, the proper medicine, you might really damage somebody. If you bypass the, the advice of the attending physician, you might make matters worse. It's a place where the law of God is understood because the Lord takes people from a besieged city outside of Christ into the city of refuge. And ultimately through their belief and faith in him into the very heart of Christ for permanent sanctuary. It's a place called church. So they set apart Kedesh. It's a play on words there. Set apart is, is the word Kedesh. That's a Hebrew word. So they Kadeshed Kadesh. I think we ought to church the church. I think that's what this is calling us to. A churched church. There's a difference. There are churches. And there are church churches. That's what I think we're talking about here. The psalmist writes, and with this I'll conclude. In you, O Lord, I have taken refuge. Let me never be put to shame. Deliver me in your righteousness. And then the psalmist gives a description of what real life is like. Be merciful to me, O Lord, for I'm in distress. My eyes grow weak with sorrow, my soul and my body with grief. My life is consumed by anguish and my years by groaning. My strength fails because of my affliction and my bones grow weak. Because of all my enemies, I'm in the utter contempt of my neighbors. I am a dread to my friends. Those who see me on the street flee from me. I am forgotten by them as though I were dead. I have become like broken pottery, for I hear the slander of many. There is terror on every side. They conspire against me and plot to take my life. But I trust in you, O Lord. I say, you are my God. One of the challenges of of leading in worship in a community like ours, on any given Sunday, and Pastor Steve faces this, is to come to the recognition that we come to this gathering with all kinds of different emotional struggles and trauma. Not all of us are on top of it when we get here. For, it hasn't been the best week of our lives for everybody. And I recognize sometimes when we come in here and I say, good morning, isn't it a great day? For many of you, it's not a great day. You want it to be. And you've brought yourself here because you know. You know that the refuge, the sanctuary you need is Jesus Christ. It's hard to cover everybody's emotions in one gathering. It really is. 
Because real life wears people down. Joe Bailey wrote in a book, a psalm in a hotel room. I'm alone, Lord. Alone, a thousand miles from home. There's no one here who knows my name, except the clerk, and he spelled it wrong. No one to eat dinner with, laugh at my jokes, listen to my gripes, be happy with me about what happened today, and say, that's great. No one cares. There's just this lousy bed and slush in the street outside between the buildings. I feel sorry for myself, and I've plenty of reason to. Maybe I ought to say I'm on top of it. Praise the Lord. Things are great, but they're not. Tonight, it's all gray slush. Real life wears people down, you know. So let's not make it harder for them. Real life, from the psalmist's perspective, continually accuses people. You know, people walk around day in, day out, dogged by regret and guilt. And the enemy of our soul keeps chirping at us. People know their failings, for the most part. They don't need to hear it in stereo from here. It places, life places people under siege. Do we have any idea how much Satan hates God? He hates God so much that he tries to use you and me and people to disgust God. So that he can say, look at them. Why would you love them? Why would you care about them? Let's not join in the chorus. The church is a city of refuge. A place where people can flee. Where people can be heard. Where people can be protected. Where people can experience grace. Where people can be taught the word of God's truth. Chuck Swindoll, in his book, Dropping Your Guard, he talks about um, the description of the, the statue that stands in the harbor in New York City. You all know it. In fact, I went to see it last year. He writes this, There she stood, a proud woman, dressed in loose robe that falls in graceful folds to the top of the pedestal on which she stands. Grasped by her left hand arm is a tablet bearing the date of the U.S. Declaration of Independence. Her right arm extended high holds a torch. At her feet is a broken shackle representing the overthrow of tyranny. One hundred tons of compassion and welcome stand as a mute testimony to the message inscribed at its base on a bronze tablet. That message is a sonnet by Emma Lazarus entitled The New Colossus. Have you read it? It goes like this. Not like the brazen giant of Greek fame, with conquering limbs astride from land to land, here at our sea-washed sunset gate shall stand a mighty woman with a torch, whose flame is the imprisoned lightning, and her name, Mother of Exiles. 
from her beacon hand glows worldwide welcome. Her mild eyes command the air-bridged harbor that Twin Cities frame. Keep ancient lands your storied pomped, cries she. With silent lips, give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free, the wretched refuse of your teeming shore. Send these, the homeless, tempest-tossed to me. I lift my lamp beside the golden door. I wish that had been written outside of a church instead of a Statue of Liberty. That'd look good in the front of our church. Give us your tired, your poor, huddled masses yearning to breathe free. The refuse cast aside in the inner cities of our region. The homeless, the tempest-tossed. If we aren't the lamp, where will they turn? The light on a hill. A church. I asked Pastor Ken to... uh, whose ministry is to make sure the church churches. What do we need around here at Calvary? We need drivers to pick up some of our seniors and bring them to Thursday night, Thursday afternoon retirees and take Thursday morning and take them home. We need financial counselors that will help people who are really under it financially. We need those who have worked and worked through and experienced healings and hurts from hurts and past abuse, from addictions. We need cancer survivors or family members of cancer survivors or those who've gone through the journey of cancer that you might help one-to-one. For our partners and our mentors, the refuge, the pregnancy help center, we need people who can counsel and mentor and help. We know those who'd be willing to be trained as as visitors and chaplains to the hospital. We need those who would simply say, you know, Lord, I know that you're a a God of heart, of refuge, of sanctuary. Stir it up in my own heart. Help me to see the wounded, the hurting, those who need a hug. Let's knock it off with our spiritual pride and arrogance Let's grab a towel and start dressing the spiritual and emotional wounds of those around us. The go big way, the way up, it's the way down. It's called a church. Our Father, I, I pray that you would take your word, the implications of your word, the refuge God, Jesus, our refuge. That we might be a place, Father, in the community where people assume they could find shelter. Maybe they don't know you yet. But maybe, Lord, if they found this a place to run, And they saw the light of our life in Christ. 
they might want you to. Because, Father, we know that you desire that people would run to you, come to you. Thank you that you are such a gracious God. When we were fugitives, you didn't seek out immediate justice. But by your patience and your long-suffering, you sent your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to atone for our sin, to be our substitute. You are not slow, as some call slowness in judgment. You are patient, long-suffering, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come to you. I pray, Father, that you can entrust us to that ministry for Jesus' sake.